This is the Kibasa King Sports Extravaganza. Hey, 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 Yakshamash. Club to you too, or whatever. You know, really, I love your style. I love the way you edit things together. Well, thanks for noticing. It's a real pain. We welcome to the show Christian Leitner. Yeah, I'm proud of my heritage, and my mother used to make a lot of delicious meals, kapusta, bumpy, padoe, all that good stuff. I put sour cream on everything, and um, so <laughs> a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of Polish tradition there. This is the Kibasa King Sports Extravaganza. Hey, 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 Yakshamash. Club to you too, or whatever. You know, really, I love your style. I love the way you edit things together. Well, thanks for noticing. It's a real pain. We welcome to the show Christian Leitner. Yeah, I'm proud of my heritage, and my mother used to make a lot of delicious meals, kapusta, bumpy, padoe, all that good stuff. I put sour cream on everything, and um, so a lot, of, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of Polish tradition there. Yak, Shamash, everybody, welcome to another edition of the Kilbasa King Sports Extravaganza, of course, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Make sure you guys go to Bucky's Fifth Quarter for all your Wisconsin Badgers news, notes, and discussion, and so much more uh, uh, beer reviews. Uh, you name it, we have it on the site. And uh, welcome again, guys, on a kind of a dreary Sunday night shower starting to roll through here, at least here in Madison. I'm Jake Kokorowski. We got the Polish rifle Scott Wisniewski on the line. We got a big show starting a little later. Uh, just do some technical difficulties. Bear with us. Uh, it's always fun when you have those unexpected ones, especially when you're about ready to sign in with two minutes left to go uh, before we go live. But uh, we got a big show about 14 minutes. John Veldheis, BadgerBlitz.com breaks down Wisconsin spring practice so far. What to look forward to for those that will be in attendance next Saturday at Camp Randall Stadium. Paul Christ first spring game as head coach of, of your Wisconsin Badgers. And so uh, we'll talk with John talking about uh, what he's seen so far. He's been pretty much to every practice. That's why we wanted him on. Talk about who's standing out, who uh, some worrisome position uh, possibly, uh, along with uh, just some, some possible surprises. I know there's been a few. So before we get into that, before we talk some Milwaukee Bucks basketball, uh, especially with the Chicago Bulls and the, the one nothing lead the Bulls have. Uh, we're going to talk some Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, and, and Scott, I mean, 2-10, and ten, uh, another loss today. Uh, starting pitching's not there. Not, nothing's working for the Milwaukee Brewers at this point. I am starting to get the feel that this team could throw in the towel any minute and uh, could be a 95-loss team. I, you know, it, here's an interesting fact. Um, you know, I started really following the Brewers when I was eight years old, you know, 1979. I've seen, you know, I was into it. I'm a stats guy, and I was kind of a stats geek. 
And I've seen some good teams. I've seen, you know, the late 90s and early 2000s low water marks. This is the worst start in franchise history. Think about that for a minute because there have been some bad Brewer squads. This is the worst start in franchise history. Uh, Even going back to the early 70s when they were, you know, obviously terrible and basically an expansion team that moved here from Seattle, but still. Worst team Worst start in franchise history. You got a pitching staff that can't seem to get it done. You can't. They can't hit. Now they've had some injuries. Last year they were relatively injury free, minus Braun, and you know, obviously with the injury that kind of bothered them all year. But you know, they're go- they're without Gomez. I think that's going to be longer than a few weeks. Braun's already missed a couple of games. Um, the thing though that really has me bothered is you know there's some unhappiness. You have a, a setup guy in Broxton who uh, isn't happy here. Um, you have no real rhythm yet offensively, as I mentioned before. There's called to fire Ron Renneke. We'll talk about that here in a minute. I mean, my thoughts on it and the overall thoughts about what, you know, anybody else, it, the armchair quarterbacks, how they would, what they would do differently. How this team, I mean, pitching staff is what it is. Uh, the fact that guys like Lucroy and Ramirez are hitting and that Gomez got hurt, I don't know how any of that's on the manager, but whatever. You know, we'll talk about that. But it's just amazing to think that this is the worst start. That, and, and it's a carryover. What was their record last year in September? And if you add that up with this, it's been a really bad stretch of baseball for this franchise. Yeah, and they lost 5-2 today, completed the sweep by the Pittsburgh Pirates, and it, it's it's rough. Obviously, they've lost their first four series of the year, two to the Pirates. And they're 2-7. And, 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 Jake, they're 2-7 against the division. So, you know, you could sit up. there and say all you want about, well, you know, that's a bad start, whatever. They could have gone 2-10 at any point during the season, and it wouldn't have been as magnified. But they're losing games to divisional teams. So it, it's bad enough. I mean, we didn't think they were a playoff team, but I thought they could at least – be competitive, but it's bad enough if you're losing games, but when you're not going to be competitive against the teams in your division and they're gaining games on you, it's it's it could be a very long summer in Milwaukee. And you look at and you talked about it too, about the division, and I was going to bring that up. A lot of the games this starting off this season, you're looking straight off uh, the division, you you know, they've played how many straight already? They've played nine straight against division opponents. They got Four against Cincinnati starting tomorrow. They got another yep. three, uh, and this is all at home against St. Louis. After that, and then they yep. go on the road, take on another three against the Reds in Cincinnati, and another three at Chicago against the Cubs. Uh, and yep. so, and then Chicago comes here after that. So yeah, right. And so it's it's a really they need to get the act together. They've lost four straight series. The big thing if they can just start piecing together a series win at a time. Granted, they may they need a lot more right now. But just to regain that confidence, get some just some momentum going, and I think that 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 could really help. But you look at their statistics too, and you know, and B, you said you're a stats guy. I mean, it's not pretty in terms of team averages. Bottom half, bottom, not even bottom third of the year uh, of the of the uh, league. You're looking at a lot worse. The 30th in runs, 29th in on base percentage and slugging percentage. Looking at mm-hmm. pitching sides, you know, signs. I mean, only two quality starts. Their earned run average for a team's close to four seven five. 
and, and the opponents are, bat, are batting almost 300 at 290 against this team, and you can't have your. It's funny. No. It, it, it's funny when you think about it, like because everybody said, even when they said, "Oh, well, the team's not going to do really well," but they'll score runs. And I wanted to believe that. And then all I could think about was the last week of August and all of September last year when they didn't score runs. So there's something broken with this offense. And I I guess what I did expect, I expected more home runs than three through 12 games. They're last in the league, uh, last in baseball in home run hitting, which I guess I expected more home runs. But I, I wasn't one who was believing that the offense was going to be top top third because they weren't – their flaws in their offense. It's funny how many shifts that uh, teams have uh, implied, uh, implored on against the Brewers, and the Brewers have not fig- – I, I think that the, the league has the Brewers figured out, and good managers have the Brewers figured out. Their hitters do the same things. They don't – they don't hit to you know multiple fields and and the Brewers the shifts are killing the Brewers already this season and and the more and more that happens the harder it's going to be for the Brewers to figure it out. And it, I mean, trying to look at some positives just for this you know it's a uh, eight thirteen thirteen past the hour right now here on the Kibasa King Sports Extravaganza. Looking at that, Gene Segura at least he's he's batting three eighteen so he's had a good start. Chris Davis, three ten. Granted, there's no home runs. He only has two RBIs. Adam Lins. Yeah, and what's you know, on I mean, base? What's that base percentage? On base percentage for Davis, three seventy yeah. right now. Okay. What about Segura? Segura, three forty eight. Okay, so you know, so he's thirty only thirty points higher. Which you know, you want your on base percentage to be fifty sixty points higher than your batting average. I mean you know, for you to be an effective offensive player. But fine enough, Segura's played better than he did last year. He had a rough year last year. But Luke Croy's hitting below 200. They're not scoring runs. And and really, one of their best run producers, uh, even though he's very frustrating and maddening, is Gomez. And Gomez is going to be out for an extended period of time. So... I don't know where the hope is. I mean, their farm system's depleted. They don't have any stars ready to come up. Their best prospects are playing low A ball or low A ball, or, or maybe some are in double A this year. But there's nobody there to save them. There's not a guy they could call up, even when the season's lost, which could be in two weeks. There's nobody to call up. Whereas the Cubs, they had you know Bryant and and they still have. Uh, uh, Addison Russell, and they have guys they could call up if things went south. There's no hope. I mean, there isn't a magic button that you could push or a, a magic pill where you could say, yeah, let's bring up the kid. What kid? I mean, there's nobody in the farm system ready to come up and and and, and compete. Yeah, it, it, in, you know, I think people have known it for a while, and you're, you don't have the farm system is, and it what can we say? It's going to be, it might be a long year if they don't get their act together quickly. Uh, and, and like we said, it, uh, it all starts this week when they, you know, they're playing against Cincinnati starting tomorrow. So uh, it, it, it's not going to be, I mean, this, you mentioned this team. I mean, we, we talked about how the Brewers needed to see Brian Braun and Ramirez batting, uh, not, I would say 300, but 290, 280, 
and driving run. Ron right now is at 237. You have Ramirez batting below the Mendoza lines. Uh, same with Lucroy. Uh, it, it's it's a rough stretch. It's uh, you know you hope that it's just you know April. I know I think it was a, I think Aramis hasn't had the greatest of Aprils in his career, but you just hope that they start picking it up and they have to pick it up soon. And uh, otherwise, it, it like we you know we've talked about you you mentioned it even a few podcasts ago, Scotty, about how this team could be only a 78 win, and not even that, like a 74 win team and be in the bottom uh, of the cellar of, every, of the NL yeah, Central. If everything, went, if everything went wrong, they could be a 90-loss team, I said. Now, if everything went right, they could win 82 or 83 games. Well, obviously, everything hasn't gone right, so we know that that's probably out the window, and they're leaning more towards the everything being wrong, and and it could even be worse than I originally thought, because as, as disappointing as I thought this team could be, there's no way I thought they were going to start out 2-10. and 10. I mean... So they've already exceeded the low, you know, the the low water mark, I guess. Exactly. So we'll see how. Obviously, there's still plenty of games to to be had, but you mentioned Ron Renicky, and it's one of those things with when you have Renicky, and it, it it's it may not you know may not be the manager's fault, but they're going to be place the blame on them. Uh, and even Drew Olson talked about it on the D list last week. Uh, if the team didn't get, to get their act together, when's that panic button going to be pushed where they're going to put Renicky up on, you know, and sacrifice them, you know, fire them uh, to try to get a jump start out of this team. Now, whether or not that's really deserved, it, 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 that's one thing. Uh, but it's it's kind of the end result in baseball where you can't fire 25 guys off a roster uh, and expect to be competitive. And so, that's up there, and I don't think it's necessarily deserved to be that way. But it, it, do you think that's going to be a shakeup that's going to help? If, if it does happen, and obviously we don't know anything about that, but do you think that will happen? Uh, and, and do you think that would actually help this team try to get their act together? Are you firing a manager? Yeah, I mean, you know, they've seen some no, jump starts. No, it's not, no, it's not going to help because it's not going to change the fact that their pitching staff is full of threes, and Loesch looks like he got old over, all of a sudden. It, it, old in as far as uh, the way he's pitching, not age-wise. But um, I don't know how. I don't know how that's going to help this team. It, and very, you, you get a, Usually, what happens in this case, you fire your manager, you get a bump for a week, and then you go back to what you are. You are what you are. Now, listen. I don't know. I don't necessarily know if Ron Renneke is a good, great manager or a terrible manager. I tend to think he's an average manager. Um, people want to criticize him. They criticized him the other day when he put Braun in the leadoff spot. He's trying to do something different. He's trying to shake this team up. Okay? But the bottom line is, you know, you could criticize him for the move he made when he put Broxton in instead of Smith and they lost that second game or the third game against Colorado. Fine. Okay? He, that was a manager. That maybe was a game. They caught. So now what? So they're 3-9. and nine. Are they any closer to being a playoff team? I, I don't. Right. I guess, I, you know, I tend to do this because I've had this discussion a couple times in the last few weeks. So I tend to do this. If you want Ron Renicky fired, that's fine. But I want to know then what you would have been doing differently if you were managing this team. You know, and, and I'm being, I'm trying to be open minded. I'm not trying to be. I, I'm being serious. Tell me what you would have done differently. The people who, you know, all over the place, I think it's time to fire the manager. All right, well, what would you do differently if you had the job? 
who would be playing where, who would be sitting, you know, where would you miraculously find a couple starting pitchers because they're not in the minors? Uh, I mean, where would you find more home runs? Where would you hit with runners in scoring position better? Like, uh, what would what would this new manager you're going to bring in do differently? Absolutely. You know, so that I think that's a fair question. What 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 could Ryan Renneke be doing differently that would be giving this team more wins? Exactly. So. Uh, before we get to John Veldheis in just a minute, here on the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Any other news from baseball you want to chat with, talk with real quick? Anything that's uh, popped up in the first two weeks? Obviously, Chris Bryant for the Cubs came up, had a nice sombrero, 0-4, three strikeouts in his debut. Uh, anything that really poked out to you, in the uh, besides maybe even Alex Rodriguez hitting the four home runs already on the season? Uh, anything, what, what are some of the big storylines you've seen so far in this very, very young season? Well, I, I think you hit on a couple of them. Chris Bryant and Alex Rodriguez have been huge. I mean, what they've done, and and uh, I think you, you can't deny that Bryant was going to be up soon, and, and it was only not even two weeks, so all the people who were upset can calm down. He only missed, like, nine major league games. It's okay. Um you know, he's going to contribute. And Alex Rodriguez, I said, I told people, don't be surprised, and especially as a DH, if he's going to come back this year and hit a little bit. Not not to the to the level that he was when he was an MVP years ago, but, you know, despite the Yankees really wanting him out, the organization wanting him out, he's been so far one of their best offensive players. So, you know, it is what it is. Um, other than that, Detroit's off to a, a Terrific start, you know, kind of the opposite of the Brewers. I think they're ten and two, um, you know. So I guess those are the big stories. That, you know, not this week, but perhaps next week when we we'll talk a little bit more baseball. I want to talk a little bit more about uh, the Angels and Josh, the Josh Hamilton situation, and how things might be different for Josh Hamilton if he were living up to the expectations of his contract. But um, um, you know, because he hasn't hit well since he's come to L.A. If he'd been hitting 300, do you think they'd be ready to run him out of there, you know? Um, but we'll talk about all that. But otherwise, it's been a good couple of weeks, except for the Brewers. It's It's been fun. I, just tough, you know, to see that you're the team that you have a vested interest in is already playing themselves out of any kind of contention. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. And we'll we'll see how this plays out. We want to make sure that uh, hopefully that you see this uh, team turn around and you see what's going on. It's been dreadful, and obviously uh, it's not a good pick-me-up after Wisconsin losing in, that, in, in the national championship game uh, amongst uh, also with basketball and, and, and what's going on there. But uh, what, what we'll do, we'll, we're going to cheer up a little bit. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. John Veldheis from Bucky, or not from Bucky's Fifth Quarter, formerly of Bucky's Fifth Quarter, is going to jump on and we're going to talk with him, talk some Badger spring ball that's going on. We're really excited for that. So, guys, just stick around. This is the Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza.
everybody, welcome back. Kielbasa King Sports Extravaganza, of course, brought to you by Bucky's Fifth Quarter. And uh, make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at B5Q uh, and the show at Kielbasa Kings WI. And, of course, you can follow this man on Twitter at John Veldheis. That's V-E-L-D-H-U-I-S. Good friend of the show, former Bucky's Fifth Quarter contributor back in the day. We got John Veldheis here. Uh, John, happy Sunday. A little dreary out here, but uh, it seems like the scrimmage that many have talked about uh, this afternoon went uh, pretty well underneath some pretty nice weather. Yeah, it was beautiful. I mean, like I was up uh, on the concourse with some of the other riders up there, so I wasn't exactly sitting in the sun, but it was nice to not either be uh, freezing like it has been when they have the late practices on Wednesday night. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, with the weather getting up there, uh, probably it was probably about a good 70 degrees or something. It had a nice breeze, really couldn't have asked for, you know, much better weather to uh, go out there and watch some football in the spring. I love it. And, you know, I mean, so, you know, talk, oh, Oh, go ahead, Scotty. Go for it, bro. No, no, sorry about that. I wanted to kind of get – I know it's really early, and, I, and these are really broad questions, and I understand that, um, and they're hard to – sometimes they're hard to answer, but when you're talking about spring football, sometimes it's all that you really have. So early on, uh, under Paul Chris, what would you say – because last year everybody thought it was, you know, Gary Anderson did some interesting things, and he did the music, and – and he did some different things in practice. But in the end, it really comes down to what's happening on the field and that sort of thing. What were your early impressions so far of of the, the, the practices and the, the early part of Paul Christ's tenure here in Wisconsin? I guess the, the early thing, and like you said, it is really early. Um, but the at least from an offensive standpoint, I mean, I, I think it's pretty much what – you know, we all expected when when the Badgers hired Paul uh, in that the the offense looked very similar to what, you know, obviously he was running uh, when he was the offensive coordinator uh, at, at Wisconsin uh, a good couple of years ago before he left for Pitt. I mean, it's a lot of uh, pro-style passing. Um, you know, they're targeting tight ends a lot. You know, we're still kind of waiting to see, you know, which of these wide receivers are going to have to step up. Uh, but, you know, that we would have had to, you know, wait on them, whether it was Paul Christ running the offense or if Gary Anderson had stayed around. So that's not anything new. Um, I, I do think uh, guys like, you know, Joel Stavi uh, and, you know, obviously the, the freshmen that people have been talking about, like Alex uh, Hornibrook, are really going to benefit from Paul being around just because I think the style of offense just fits what they can do better than, you know, maybe what they had uh, tried to, to kind of mishmash together uh, under Andy Ludwig and, and Gary Anderson when they were running the show. So I think they're definitely direct beneficiaries. And I think from a de- from the defensive side of the ball, it doesn't look you know a whole lot different apart from the defense getting really, you know, quite a bit younger uh, in the front seven. So that's, definitely something to watch uh but i think on a macro level uh you know the, the defense the, the scheme is going to look pretty similar and you know the offense is really going to be pretty familiar if you watched you know wisconsin football from 2005 to you know 2011 or uh, 2012 or so even when uh, matt canada was in town here with badger blitz is john veldheis here on bucky's fifth quarter and you met you touched on something and you know you take a look at uh, in terms of the offense, you mentioned the tight ends. I, I guess, like, I haven't really heard a lot about them. Are they, you said they're being more integrated. What are you seeing at practices out of guys like Troy Fumagalli? Uh, what are you guys seeing out of uh, guys like Austin Trailer? even a, a young kid 
uh, like Kyle Penniston, uh, an earlier enrollee, true freshman out of California. Well, I think that that position is just is going to be the safety net uh, for the, uh, the the passing game. Uh, Austin Trailer is a guy who, uh, over the last couple of practices or so, has you know really been been targeted a good couple times. Um, it, it didn't show up quite so much if you look at you know the uh, the unofficial official stats from today's. Um, from today's scrimmage because trailer was targeted a couple times, but, and, you know, he made some nice catches, but you know, the, the plays you know, didn't count because of either, you know, an offensive penalty, defensive penalty, something like that. Um, so he's a guy that I don't know if he, you know, we're going to see him get a whole lot of targets, um, you know, like up to like a wide receiver level, but obviously I think he and then Fumagalli are, are guys that, you know, uh, Joel Stavi is going to be able to rely on and is going to, you know, maybe default to a little bit if they need, if they just need to pass the ball and they're looking for a mismatch. Uh, Fumagalli is the guy, he, he was wearing a, a, a green no contact jersey today, I, so I'm not exactly sure what was up with him, um, you know, d- during today's practice, but, you know, I think he, uh, he's a guy that uh, draws some uh, some strong opinions. I think at least from uh, reading some of the posters on my message board, there are guys that you know really like him. There are other people that you know that don't think he's going to make quite a big of an impact. I probably tend to to skew towards the the, the liking him side of it. Um, I, I think he's made some solid catches, and I think towards the end of last year, um, he kind of came on a little bit and made some big catches on third downs and in big situations for them. So I think they're going to be a solid safe safety net that you know you can rely on and um you know when you're when, when you're facing the the kind of uncertainty that their passing game really is i think that's definitely something that you can you know feel good about okay you mentioned stavi and again what a difference a year makes um right because last year going you know going into the season stavi you know, not only was uh, you know not not starting, but then he was not playing at all, and then he was um, uh, not all you know not with it and having emotional issues, whatever the case may be. Now he's starting at least starting now as the starter. Your overall impressions: a of Stave, b how he may or may not be rebounding from a rough season he had last year, and is he the guy that, that he's obviously the favorite to be the number one? But do you see him keeping this job? Uh, by the say end of the year, I do see him keeping the job. I mean, like I feel like this is he's I, the last couple of years. You know, obviously I've been I've been asked that quite a bit, and I you know I've said it every year, and I feel like I, I I'd feel wrong if I if I went away from it right now. Um, but I, I think Joel had, he's obviously had his ups and downs uh, during spring, and you know what I I think after watching him for a couple of years, that's just kind of the player he is. He's going to have his ups and his downs, um, but I think his his uh, his ups or his highs, if you want to call it that, I think have been better than obviously what we saw um, during during stretches last year. I think it's probably reasonable to expect him to play, you know, maybe uh, uh, closer to you know what we saw during his freshman year, which was really a, a pretty good year for a you know former uh, a walk on quarterback that had been kind of thrust into that situation. So if they can get that out of him, I think they'll be pretty content. I think that was around a a 60% completion percentage. He he's going to make his mistakes. He's going to throw interceptions, but I, I still think at the end of the day, uh, barring a 
you know, a, a surge from somebody like DJ Gillens or Bart Houston. Um, I, I think Joel will, will hang on to the job, and I think he he will be good enough for them to get by. I mean, obviously he's going to make those throws that you're going to wonder what he was thinking or what he was seeing. But you know, for the time being, I think he's their best option, um, and. Uh, I, I do think getting to work with Paul Crist will be a benefit, and you know, a, a really something else that I think will help him is if, if they give Tanner McAvoy you know some good reps at wide receiver, I think that's definitely something that will help him out because if he can get you know a, another wide receiver besides Alex Erickson to to be a, a reliable uh, pass catching threat, that will do. I, I think that will make their offense quite a bit more uh, stable than what it has been going through the air over the last couple of years. Well, and, and I, I, I I do agree with you. I'm sorry. I do agree with you about. I think Stavi does give him the best chance. And I just, I think, just one last question about last year, and I want to put it mm-hmm. to bed. But I think if that situation with Stavi was handled differently, we still wouldn't be asking some of the questions that we're forced to ask because I just thought the whole Joel Stave thing with with Anderson was, I, to my opinion, was just handled poorly. I, I would definitely agree with that, and, and you know, just in the conversations that I've had with people, um, you know, now that uh, that Anderson has left and everything else, I think there were a lot of people in the program that you know were of a similar opinion that uh, you know thought at the very least the situation was mishandled. Um, if not, you know, they, that they just ended up picking the wrong guy, like they made the wrong decision. I mean, I, uh, I. Obviously, you know, they closed some practices last year or some of the practices during fall camp were, were only partially open. But, you know, from what I saw of Joel, uh, it's not that he he definitely didn't blow Tanner out of the water when they were competing. But Joel, uh, I thought, had outplayed Tanner through the practices that we were allowed to see. And so, you know, there's always the thing that, you know, maybe Tanner was lighting it up. Uh, you know, during the closed parts of practice, but honestly, I find that hard to believe. And I thought that Joel had had looked better uh, than you know what he had, or than how he had looked uh, from the uh, the 2013 season. So, you know, if if that situation had handled better, you, I, I I think you're absolutely right. I think you know a lot of these this kind of uncertainty might have been cleared up. Uh, and I think Joel has really benefited from you know the the kind of lack of. Um, you know, instability that uh, you know he's had through these uh, um, first couple of practices of the spring, because you know he's gotten some really consistent reps. Uh, he's getting a chance to develop some good chemistry with the wide receivers that are up there, um, and you know it, it helps. Uh, honestly, you know, just getting extra time after practice with Paul Christ, working with guys like Tanner and some of the other wide receivers, um, and so I think Joel is really a guy that will benefit from the stability. You know, assuming that he, you know, doesn't have you know, um, you know, a, a regression or anything like that to the point where they, you know, make it an open competition again. We're here with John Veldheis from BadgerBlitz.com, and you mentioned Tanner McAvoy, and maybe this will go into like my next uh, question, and maybe a two-parter. Coming into spring, what were some of the positions that you thought were a major concern? I think maybe inside linebacker was probably my in my opinion, the most concerning, uh, along with maybe the the right side of the offensive line, uh, and when you when you lose a Costigan and a Havenstein, but uh, and with that, I mean, what was in your opinion the the positions that maybe you've been you were most concerned with heading into camp and uh, going forward with that? What have what have you seen? Have those concerns been alleviated at all in your opinion? 
Well, um, I, I I agree with you. Going into spring, I thought inside linebacker was probably one of their biggest um, you know, positional question marks just because when you look at that depth chart and you look at the, the years of experience that – uh, l- that were both leaving the program and the guys that were left over, I mean, that would give a lot of coaches uh, uh, a good amount of heartburn, I'd imagine, because, you know, your most <laughs> experienced guy is Leon Jacobs, who has been, you know, oscillating back and forth between inside linebacker and outside linebacker for his entire career. So he's not somebody who has, uh, you know, played the position consistently, you know, uh, on, pra- on a practice-by-practice basis, um, you know, his first two years. And then after that, it's all freshmen. Uh, and, you know, T.J. Edwards is a redshirt freshman, um, so he's got a year in the program. But after that, you know, it's Dakota Dixon, who, you know, was hurt for most of last year. Uh, there's Ty DeForest, who's a um, – I mean, who's ju- who very well – who by all rights could still be in high school right now, along with Nick Thomas. Um <laughs> Yep. And so, you know, they, they've moved Keelan Brookins inside to try and, you know, get some older guys in there. Um, they moved Ryan Connolly in there from outside linebacker. So, but, and like I said, even, you know, moving those guys in there, they, it's not like they've played the position either. That said, I think, uh, I, I feel a little bit better about the inside linebackers right now than I did at the start of spring, uh, mostly because of uh, TJ Edwards, who has, Really had a good couple practices. He he played really well during the scrimmage today, um, and so I I I feel a little bit better about the, that position for them moving forward. And I think Leon Jacobs, uh, you know, from um, settling in at one position, I think that will do him a you know a, a lot of good um, because he's obviously a really athletic guy uh, who you know kind of earned his way onto the field right away as a true freshman. So the athletic talent is there. Uh, it's just the, the lack of experience that, you know, kind of um, raises some fair question marks. And, you know, to, to add on a little bit here, a, a position that I didn't think I would be quite so worried about, but I am a little bit more so right now, is the offensive line. Uh, just Because, like you said, I mean, like, it's just hard to replace guys like Rob Havenstein and Kyle Costigan, who have played for, you know, for so long. Um, and, you know, you're replacing him with, uh, right now it's Hayden Beagle at right tackle, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, as, assuming Dan Voltz uh, comes back to full strength and plays center, then you have Michael Dieter at uh, right guard. And so neither of those two, I mean, Michael Dieter didn't play at all last year because he redshirted, and then I'm not sure off the top of my head if Hayden Beagle has any games played, but, you know, that's a, I mean, that's a, a good solid chunk of your offensive line, and uh, they, they've they had their issues this spring. I mean, like, they've had some false starts uh you know they've had some consistency consistency issues with snapping the ball um and so we'll see you know maybe as as we get into fall camp if you know maybe the, this group of five kind of learns to play together a little bit better uh but that, that's definitely a group that i'm going to keep more of a a close eye on you know through the spring game and then into fall camp that maybe i wasn't quite uh expecting to once we started spring and you know, uh, so obviously- you know oh go ahead john oh, go ahead scotty Sorry, sorry. A little bit of a delay on my end. It's kind of like when you're watching those via satellite things on CNN. Right. But uh, so I guess obviously I I kind of felt the same way about offensive line. As we go into the spring game, um, are there some are those some of the position battles? Obviously, you'll be keeping an eye on. And is there somewhere else that that people going to the game if they're you know because watching watching games. As fans and watching games as media and coaches is always different because fans follow the ball. But if you're going there for a learning experience, where should the fans be looking? What position battles? What what uh, 
what different parts of, of that uh, spring game should fans be looking for uh, some interesting stories? Yeah, I, I would definitely watch the right side of that offensive line um, because uh, I don't know if I would call it a position battle quite yet because it, I, I guess for it to be a position battle, I, I guess from my definition, I would like to see both guys getting reps with the first team. And right now it's just been, you know, Hayden Beagle at right tackle. And then, you know, with the injuries that they've had uh, to Dan Volts, who, you know, really has only had a couple uh, practices where he's been healthy, uh, so they've they've kind of had to shift uh, Michael Dieter to center and then played uh, Walker Williams at right guard. I mean, I, I feel like not not to uh, to rag on Walker Williams too much, but you know, if they have to play him as a starter uh, at right guard, then they're going to be in some trouble um, this year. So I, I I'm kind of holding out judgment uh, to see you know, what the line looks like on a consistent basis when uh, Volts can play center for an extended amount of time. And, you know, then you have Deer at right guard, which is kind of where they're hoping you know, to, that he will stick. Um, but I would definitely watch right tackle because Hayden has, he, he's, he's had his ups and downs too. He's had his, his false starts um, and things like that, where they, you know, will pull a Bo Ryan and yank him and throw in Bo Benchawal um, at that right tackle spot. And so Bo was probably the, the his closest competition there. Um, if, if they're rotating him in, in, you know, on a, on a more consistent basis, I would say that it's the position battle has been heating up quite a bit, uh, but I would definitely try and watch, uh, you know, Hayden and see how he's handling the, um, the, the pass rush uh, and things like that, just to, just to get a sense for how well he's playing with the rest of this unit. And then really to kind of flip over onto the other side of the ball, I would pay a lot of attention to the, the defensive line uh, because, and this is something I wrote about today after practice, they have uh, shuffled their defensive line a little bit because they're trying to find um, the right kind of combination uh, that will give them, you know, the best balance between stopping the run and um, getting some pass rush in addition to, you know, what they're kind of counting on from their outside linebackers. Um, and so today it was uh, Connor Sheehy at nose guard uh, who has played pretty well and the coaching staff is pretty fond of him there. Uh, you know, initially after they, they were kind of thinking he'd be a swing guy who could play both end and nose. Um, and then the the rest of the, the defensive line today was uh, Chikwe Obashi, who obviously started there last year, and then uh, Alec James at the other spot, who um, I, I don't know if he's he's really caught my eye right away, but he's um, he, maybe he's the, the slow burn part of spring camp where he's just kind of you know made his way and uh, caught you know Enoke's um, Brechterfield, the defensive line coach's eye, uh, to the point where he's moved him up, uh, and uh, you know they want to see more of him, and so I would kind of see where they're rotating guys in and out um the base or the the nickel defense excuse me is right now on the defense line it's Chickway and alec james so you kind of know what they want uh from those guys when they get to a pass rushing rushing situation um so i kind of look to see where they mix and match and um if arthur goldberg is healthy by then um you know told me today that they are going to play him at defensive end so i i i really want to see where he slots in there um you know uh, compared to you know, guys like Chickway and Alec James, because this is something that's kind of developed late in camp and obviously will, uh, is a situation that merits watching once we get to the fall, too. Awesome. John, as always, it's it's great talking with you, my friend. And uh, I know we said we'd only go 15 and 25 minutes later, <laughs> here we are. Uh, but uh, that's what good discussion does. And uh, we really appreciate you taking time out on, on, on your Sunday evening. Uh, and, guys, make sure you guys follow him at John Veldheis on Twitter. And also check out BadgerBlitz.com. Honestly, one of the uh, – I, I, just the stuff that you guys do, you and John – 
just amazing stuff in terms of recruits and and with uh, just covering the games. Uh, always love your your recaps and and let me just ask too. I mean, obviously with recruiting, there's a lot of I mean, spring games bring on a lot of recruits. Obviously, you're not going to see ninety nine thousand fans <laughs> screaming like Ohio State did, or even was it seventy seven thousand that Nebraska had. Uh, but uh, there's there's some there should be some good recruits coming to check out the spring game, correct? Absolutely. Uh, I, I wish I had my list um, off the top, but I'm sure that uh, we have it somewhere on the message board. I've been a little bit more plugged into the, the guys that are on campus right now, uh, but I, I'm sure they're bringing in a lot of guys. In fact, I I, I think uh, I, I would feel bad if I'm wrong about this, but I think um, Ben Bredesen is going to be there, who's obviously a huge you know recruit for them, five-star guy out of Arrowhead. Um, so that, that that would definitely be that's a big guy that we will try and uh, you know get caught up with as soon as he's. Uh, off campus and we can kind of go legally talk to him um but yeah obviously the spring game is uh is big for both a football and a recruiting uh point of view and once uh spring football uh kind of wraps up then uh, we'll move more into the recruiting part of the year with some uh summer camps that are going to go on in i think late may and early june um and then but i'm sure before we know it we'll get to uh big 10 media days in chicago in july and then it'll be off to the races from there excellent John, as always, thank you, my friend. Uh, hopefully, we'll uh, we'll catch up again soon. We'd love to have you back on after after the spring game uh, down the road during the, those great summer months of uh, waiting until those uh, wonderful August mm-hmm. afternoons that we all spend together. Absolutely. <laughs> so, but just take care, my friend. Thank you again so much. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, this is John Veldheis, BadgerBlitz.com. Take one more quick break. We'll uh, head back and uh, finish up with some Milwaukee Bucks. And uh, maybe if we have a Dupa of the Week, we'll have a Dupa of the Week. Uh, this, is, uh, this is Bucky's fifth quarter. Everybody, welcome back. Big thanks again to John Veldheis. Great stuff from him on BadgerBlitz.com. Like I said, follow him on Twitter, at John Veldheis. Uh, Make sure you guys follow Badger Blitz as well. And and like John McNamara, who I actually went to high school with. Uh, Didn't know each other that well. He played football with my cousins, though, uh, over at Franklin High School in in Franklin, Wisconsin. So a little bit of connection there. Uh, Great guys, John and John both. Uh, And Dan, too, uh, Dan Broughton, who's... uh, comes on and he, he's been working with rivals. Uh, I've had talked with him a couple of times. So good people all around there. 
Uh, also a good person that's getting a, a second chance in the NFL, maybe a, maybe you'd say a third chance or a fourth chance is Tim Tebow. Uh, and, and a lot of, <laughs> uh, a lot of people mentioned it uh, on Twitter, Twitter kind of blew up, but according to Jay Glazer from Fox sports uh, also confirmed apparently through Adam Schefter of ESPN Glazer got there first. Uh, looks like Tim Tebow, former quarterback, was working with the SEC Network, which, by the way, is the ESPN-owned uh, SEC Network. Uh, Glazer got the scoop that the Eagles were going to sign Tim Tebow to a contract and looking to put in maybe a fourth quarterback uh, for competition. Scotty, your initial thoughts on, on uh, Tebow getting his another shot with possibly an offense that could be catered to him a little bit more favorably than uh, a traditional NFL offense? Well, this is what I expected after his first year when he was successful. Chip Kelly is uh, thinks he's smarter than the game, and he thinks he's smarter than the NFL. And now with Bradford and Sanchez and Tebow, have three of the five lowest-rated quarterbacks over the last five years from uh, from that standpoint. And you know what? I, good because I I think he needs I think he being Chip Kelly. He's a little bit of humbling. He thinks you don't need, you know, anybody can play in his system, and, and that's part of the reason why he was able to, you know, let Deshaun Jackson walk and trade away uh, McCoy. Okay, you know, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, play a lot of Tim Tebow. I don't care how much of a genius you think you are. You're not going to win a lot of NFL games. So that's fine. Uh, we'll see. And, you know, what? I don't hate Tim Tebow. I don't think he's a good quarterback. I think he's a good athlete. I think he can do a couple things. He has. I don't think he's learned how to throw the ball the right way yet. I know that didn't happen while he was gone for the last year. And I don't think he's going to ever be a guy who's going to excel at the quarterback position. But you know what? It's Chip Kelly's show. So we'll see what happens. Absolutely. Well, I, I, I guess I just found it. Everyone just kind of blew up like, Tebow! <laughs> and, yeah, and here uh, come the idiots. Here, here come the lunatics, too, now. So hey, no, I think I was one of them because I think right after I heard, I texted you right off the bat, just Tebow <laughs> repeatedly. Yeah. So uh, no, I'm, and yeah, I, I'm a village idiot, so that that works out there. But, but, but here's uh, the thing: he's in a rare, one of the rare positions where he could actually uh, win a win a starting job just because of the people he's competing against. So. I guess if there's anywhere to go, it would be to be competing against Sam Bradford and Mark Sanchez. So, hey, who knows? Um, speaking of which, before we go on to the Bucks, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit and do some publicity of my own. May 17th in Richfield, I need everybody to mark it on a calendar if they're wrestling fans. We're doing a reunion show, more importantly, a benefit for Jermaine, who, one of our wrestlers who passed away. As you know, people who know us and know the show know We've been involved in, in independent pro wrestling. I used to promote shows. I haven't promoted a show in over 10 years, but we're doing a benefit for uh, a wrestler who died too young and a family who was on, you know, could use some help. So, and I and hope, hopefully you'll be out there, Jake. We'll yeah, you said what, May 17th? You. Yeah, I can, uh, I can definitely try to swing by uh, if you need uh, need some, uh, yeah, need something going on there. Yeah, no, I I. I Right now, but Lord knows we don't have much going on <laughs> uh, besides changing diapers on a consistent base, basis. So uh, we can definitely, yeah, of course, we'll continue to promote that. Uh, and, and a lot of good names there. You mentioned it a couple weeks ago, Ring of Honors, Beer City Bruiser, 
said he's going to show up there. Matt Winchester, good uh, good friend of the show, and uh, plenty more great wrestlers. And, and like I said, Scotty and I got our start here doing, you know, got we started talking way back in it's been it'll be 10 years by the way scotty in uh 10 years in yeah was it august that i uh, had my I, what i you know uh, think of as one of my you know true first matches uh we're teaming up again with you uh that's where our partnership started and our buddy uh chaos taking on uh the former you know, the now beer city bruiser uh and, and a couple you know a couple other of our good buddies and it, yeah, it, it's uh, that's how we started, and, and obviously you guys need to check it out. It'd be a lot of fun, uh, and, and like I said, good people and it's a good cause, and that's, that's all we can say about that. Helping a family out in need, uh, so make sure. Yeah, and I'll make... have I'll, I'll have some more information in the next few weeks. We'll start releasing the card, and you'll see it on Facebook and Twitter. I'm still gonna see if I could try to talk you into getting into the battle royal, but I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. You don't want to see me in tights. Uh, dude, brother, you know, uh, I've, I've gained quite a few pounds in my, uh, in my, uh, the, the twins were born. Uh, it, it is not good. I think I tipped the scale at the heaviest I've ever been. I was at my in-laws for Easter and I, I don't, I'm not going to disclose it, but let's just say that, uh, Kuba's had a few too many pierogies for his own good, uh, a couple of kielbasas, uh, extra, uh, and tonight's dinner didn't help either. So, but then uh, they also, uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I mean, definitely try to check that out for sure. I promise you that, brother. All right. Well, let's let's talk about Rumbles and let's talk about the Bucks. You know, it was an unfortunate week for the Bucks, and I'll tell you why. I was really rooting for a first round matchup with Toronto, and then Toronto loses to Boston in, in, on Monday, and Chicago beats Atlanta on Wednesday. And Chicago gets the three seed, and as good of a season as the Bucks had, I thought the Bucks would have won a series against Toronto. I just don't think they match up well against the Bulls, and we saw a little bit about uh, a little bit of that on Saturday when they dropped the, the opener. Yeah, and it, you know, it's my first time really being able to watch the, you know, having the ability basically to to watch. The Bucks game. Obviously, not having the cable that I used to have, I've been able to get by a couple other ways. But you look at the fact that uh, my first time actually watching the Milwaukee Bucks on ESPN. You know, it's some of the things that came to mind right off, right off the bat. Look at the fact that despite there's a good point part of the game where the Bucks forced more turnovers against the Bulls. The Bulls turned it over more than the Bucks for the majority of the game, if not the entire part of the game. And then all of a sudden, you see. You know the Bucks just not converting. You know you, you they're not hitting their shots. Uh, they're shot you know under forty percent for the game. You look at the fact that this team uh, didn't convert from the free throw line. I don't know if you saw that, Scotty, but the fact that they they I mean that game they could have made it a, a two possession game or a three even three possession game a lot closer than what it ended up being. And I just, it's, uh, you know, but I mean, they still, still, the thing is, well, they still held in there. They turned the ball over. You know, the defense helped out there, uh, forcing a sloppy Chicago team into mistakes. If they can continue that and just shore up a little bit more of the shooting, uh, which obviously has been, you know, the offense has been in question since they traded Brandon Knight, but it's improved of late. If they can continue that, I, I think they can give the Bulls a shot. I still think the Bulls win the series in six or seven. But there's no reason why the Bucks can't give a good showing, and you saw that they hung around for the good majority of the game yesterday. 
Yeah, I think the Bucks or the Bulls win this thing in six. I think the problem with the Bucks, yeah, they, you're right. They force turnovers. They're top in the top of the league, but they also turn the ball over too much. And I think you know it is what it is. But you know this year is it, it is. But I'd like to see Carter Williams. He's got to improve his shooting, especially from the outside. I don't expect him to shoot 45%, but he can't shoot 34% either. And and that's going to be the challenge going forward is that's where he, his game is going to need to improve. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and yeah, the Bucks got grossly, grossly out-rebounded. They did miss free throws. They're usually a better free throw shooting team. Um, but I, I think in the end, as long as the Bulls are healthy enough, uh, they're better, and they should be able to uh, win the series. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but anything else from the NBA playoffs that you've really noticed? Uh, I mean, obviously it's the first, you know, it's still going on. Uh, Grizzlies are playing right now. John Moore, former Badger, who we've had on the show a couple times uh, in the past couple of years. Uh, he, he's playing for the Grizzlies. Uh, Greg Steensma for the Raptors uh, playing as well. Uh, anybody that uh, anything that's really stood out for you in the first two days of the NBA playoffs? No, nothing yet. Uh, by next week, we'll we'll be able to talk more about it because we'll be deeper into these series and we'll see if something really surprises me or not. I mean, I, it wasn't a surprise to see Washington beat Toronto. Toronto was reeling. That's why I thought that would have been a better matchup for the Bucks. But uh, no, no, no real surprises just yet. Um, I, I suppose if I had to make a prediction. You know, I, I'm liking Cleveland, I'm liking Golden State, but I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Houston gives them a run and maybe we'd see a Cleveland-Houston series. But that's my early predictions, and obviously those could change as some of these series change. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, let's see, wrapping up the show, got to of the week at all right now? Anything that pops um, up to you? Oh, I got nothing. nothing. You know what? I guess yeah, a little bit. Um, so you know, I'm you know I'm not a fan of Ned Yost, and I'm not going to go into the stories as to why because we'll be here all day. But um, having his players throwing at Lowry um, today, there were five more ejections in that series against Oakland. Look, Lowry slid hard in into one of his players in Escobar. They hit Lowry last night, so there's no need to pitch a high and in on him again today. Um, so I, I guess Ned Yost because Ned Yost I don't think ever really did enough to defend his players here, nor did he play small ball. But now and he called you an idiot if he had questioned any of his tactics, and now he's doing all the things that people questioned him for. So, whatever. Uh, it's weak. It's a week. It was a weak week for uh, Dupas, but that that's that's what I'm gonna go with. There you go. Other than that, guys, uh, make sure you guys check back. We're going to try to come back next Sunday with another show. Talk, obviously, some Wisconsin Badgers spring game recap. Uh, talk about uh, what we saw, what uh, what to look for, obviously, in the, into the summer camp, uh, and we'll break that down. Uh, thank you guys again for checking in. And uh, from there, we'll also obviously talk more Bucks. We'll talk more Brewers. Uh, anything else that comes up, talk more wrestling, obviously, with Scottish benefit show coming up in, in mid-May uh, for sure. So uh, other than that, uh, for the Polish Rifle, Scott Wisniewski, this is uh, Jake Kokorowski. Like I said, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Scott Wisniewski2, at Jake Coco b 5 q and, of course, at B5Q, our, our parents, uh, our, our network with Bucky's Fifth Quarter. Those are the genuine, my friends. We'll see you next week.
Accordion solo, American Polka, played by Mr. John J. Kimball, Edison Records. Thank you. 